This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You'll find that on page 567. As you're turning there, I want you to consider this question. It should be running around in the back of your minds all morning, and I hope all week. It's this. Are you interpreting God's character by your circumstances? Or are you interpreting your circumstances by God's character? When the rubber hits the road, basically what I'm asking is this. Where do you turn when all hope seems lost? Here in, chapter, in Isaiah chapter 2, we find this prophet, Isaiah, who's been sent to the southern tribe of Judah. The southern tribes of Judah. And the king, Ahaz is in a pretty bad predicament. He finds himself being uh, targeted by the Assyrians, a, a, a ginormous, yes, ginormous, a ginormous nation, and the Syrians and some other small countries. And not only that, but he finds out that the northern tribes of Israel are actually his enemies as well. So everyone on all fronts, is against him. And so what is Ahaz to do? He's, he's fearful. He doesn't know what to do. And we find Isaiah here bringing a word of the Lord to Ahaz when he needs it most. Let's stand out of reverence for the word of God. We're reading Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this morning as we dig into your scripture, you would show us your goodness. Father, it's so easy to decide and determine and judge how wonderful you are based on the circumstances that are surrounding our lives. We lose sight of how good you are. We lose sight of your promises. We lose sight of so much. And so this morning we pray that you would remind us, remind us what is true, realign us with your word, remind us of your heart that it is always good towards your people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? I 
You may remember, those of you who are basically my age or older, a story that riveted the nation, perhaps even the world. In 1987, little baby Jessica, 18 months old, was playing in her backyard in Texas. Some of you are not, oh yeah, I know this story already. Baby Jessica was in the backyard playing when the phone rang and her mother ran inside to answer the phone and no lo- it was no longer than 30 seconds before she came back out and she sees Jessica's friends playing, but no Jessica. So she hollers for her, Jessica, Jessica, and she's running around looking for her, peering over the fence, looking all over the place for Jessica. And when she is quiet... When she stops yelling, she hears the faint cries of Jessica coming from a tube in the ground. Now, we know the sto- many of us know the story. She fell down a well, and many of us think that a well is, you know, those storybook wells that are about f- three feet wide, but this well was eight inches wide. About this, about this wide. Somehow, Jessica fell down the well, and so she... Her mom sees her, runs to her and says, I'll save you, I'll save you. But really, she couldn't. There's nothing she could do. For baby Jessica has fallen 22 feet down the well. And she didn't go pencil straight down. Her right leg was actually above her head. And she was lodged in a part of the the tube that had started to turn 22 feet below the ground. And so they ran. She ran and called the police, the fire department, the, anyone she could, and they all came. Thus began a nation trying to free baby Jessica. Have you ever been in that situation? No, no. None of us have been down a tube 22 feet in the ground. None of us have been there. But think about it. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what to do? You don't know where to turn and you feel like all hope is lost and you're you're tempted to ask this question. Is God really good? My circumstances don't prove that. Again, are you interpreting God's character by your circumstances or are you interpreting your circumstances by God's character. Now, don't worry, we're going to get back to Jessica in a little bit. I know a lot of you are like, what happened to Jessica? We'll get there, don't worry. But let's focus here on Isaiah chapter 2, where we find Ahaz, again, he's on all sides of the country or tribes of Judah. Everyone is against him. Everyone. And so we have... Isaiah being sent to King Ahaz to remind him of what is true. Once I was stuck in a cave, not like Jessica, but when I was about eight or nine years old, my parents sent me to to summer camp. And at summer camp, one of the activities you get to do is go spelunking, cave exploring. And we went in the cave with our leaders, and we had about 10 of us, all all eight-year-olds, and we're we're exploring, and then comes the Bible lesson, okay, the, the illustration of teamwork. The leader tells us, well, why don't you give us all of your flashlights, and what we're going to do in about five seconds, we're going to turn the lights off, and you're going to work together to find us. 
And I thought, well, that sounds like a fun game. So they turn a light off. Have you ever been in a, in a cave with, the, with no lights? I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And here I am, eight years old, and they take the lights away. I'm thinking it's going to be a great team activity. And the lights go off, and I'm thinking, I am now in hell. This is the worst. I'm going to die. And so I scream, I'm going to die. And all the other, other students, all the other kids are like, what is wrong with this kid? Let's just work together to find leaders. But I'm screaming, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And so the, the, one of the leaders comes back, finds me, takes hold of me, brings me over into a side corridor. This is true. So, yeah, this is very true. And they take me into a side corridor, bring, my, bring me real close. Say, Drew, it's okay. I've got you. Turn a little light on, and I'm thinking, oh, I can see again. This isn't that big a deal. This is okay. And I think my courage comes back. The same happens here with Ahaz. God sends him, Isaiah, to, get, to bring him close to say, Ahaz, it's okay. I've got you. Remember my promises. Remember who I am. Remember I'm the God of miracles. I'm still in control. He flicks the light on, and here's what he says. He says, your future is guaranteed. Verse two, it starts out with this. It shall come to pass in the later days. Isaiah is basically saying, this is what will happen. It's guaranteed. Now remember, I didn't tell you this little tidbit, but Isaiah's name actually if we were to speak it in the English language, his name would be God saves. So Ahaz is there. Just imagine the, the, the conversation. Ahaz is fearful for his life. He doesn't know where to turn, doesn't know what to do. And he says, let's call him, instead of Isaiah, we'll call him God saves. God saves. I don't know what to do. Who's going to save us? Are you getting the irony? I don't know who's going to save us, God saves. Man, but aren't we like that? We go to God and we say, I know that you're the God of the universe that created all things and planned all things and everything is in your palm of your hand, but I'm scared about what my friend thinks of me right now or I'm scared about this test or I'm scared about my job or I'm scared about my marriage or I'm scared about this, that, or the other thing. And we think, God, who can help me? It seems hopeless. See, what God is doing here with Isaiah isn't a, isn't a new thing. He's doing this with us now, reminding us of his truth, of his promises. But he did it in other times with other prophets. There's actually this story about, it's a true story, about Elisha. He's bringing some people from one, one place to another. They're, they're kind of hiding. They're sneaking from one place to another. They go to bed one night thinking that they were, there's no one around. They wake up the next morning, and this warring nation has encamped all around them. And these people who are with Elisha say, what have you done? How are we going to escape this? All hope is lost. And Elisha is basically sitting in his lawn chair and he says, oh, don't worry. There's more of us than them. And they're looking at Elisha saying, wait, a, what, what are you, crazy? Now we're with a crazy person in the middle of nowhere with an army against us. And so Elisha prays that God would open their eyes to see what is true. And God answers that prayer. We see in 2 Kings chapter 6, you can go there and read this story. It is an amazing story. They actually have their eyes open to see what is spiritually true. 
And they look up in the mountains surrounding them and they see angels and warriors and chariots encamped all around them, more than you could count. And because of what they saw, they weren't afraid any longer because all they saw then was a bunch of men with leather shirts and some metal when around them was a countless number of fiery angels ready to protect them. And my response to that story is, boy, I wish I could see that all the time. Don't you wish you could say that all the time? I mean, but it is a reality that if we were to look around us with spiritual eyes, we would see not only the angels, the host of angels around this city and in this city and working in all things. We would actually see the God of heaven orchestrating all things, and yet we don't see that, and so it's so hard to remember what's true. So not only is the, is the future guaranteed, but we see this future that is guaranteed is that God would be lifted up. If we continue in verse, chapter, verse two, we see that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain. At this time in history, all countries would, would build up their own God and they'd put them on the highest mountain. And the ironic thing about Israel is that their highest mountain was smaller than every other highest mountain around them. And so they're worshiping this God on the top of the smallest hill and all the other countries are saying, you have no hope. So we see here that Isaiah is telling Ahaz, don't worry. What will happen, what I'm guaranteeing you is that the mountain of the Lord will become so high that no other mountain will even, will even compare. Did Ahaz really care about that though? Whose mountain did Ahaz want to be lifted high? His own mountain. Ahaz wanted his own mountain to be lifted high and so he didn't think that God's glory was good enough for him. He wanted his own glory. But don't we do the same thing? When we go to the Lord, what do we pray for? Do we pray for his glory to be magnified or are we praying for the things that give us hope, joy, and satisfaction? When you feel hopeless, is it because you feel as if God has left you or because you feel as if your idols have left you? Another amazing thing about God's mountain being lifted up is that we see in this passage that all peoples of all nations will stream up the mountain. And it's intended to be shown that this streaming of people is like a river. You ever see a river go uphill? What will happen is that God will be so good that what is so opposite of our character and our nature to worship God and God alone will become thrown upside down, that we will consider no other thing greater than the glory of God. That's what we will want. And so there's this stream of people, of all nations, of all countries, of all the world going up the mountain of the Lord. But again, Ahaz didn't want that. Ahaz stood there in front of Isaiah basically saying, well, is God really that great? It's a silly question, but we all, we all ask it, right? 
Is God good? Because what I see doesn't show that he's good. Is God really beautiful? Because how could he create a world like this? Is God just? Because it certainly doesn't seem that way. I'm reminded as I think about this of an episode of Seinfeld. I'd tell you the, the plot of Seinfeld, but really it's a show about nothing. And so Jerry, the main character, is engaging George, who's a short, stocky, bald man, balding, sorry. He's engaging him and and trying to convince him to go on a date with one of his friends, basically go on a blind date. And George starts to question Jerry about how, whether this girl is good enough for him. Remember who this George fellow is. Okay, I could explain it to you, but it won't do justice. So let's actually watch this clip. What kind of hair? You know, long, dark hair. Flowing? (laughs) Flowing? Is it flowing? I like flowing, cascading hair. Thick, lustrous hair is very important to me. (laughs) Thick, lustrous hair is very important to me, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Just clarifying. What about the skin? I need a good cheek. I like a good cheek. She's got a fine cheek. Is there a pinkish hue? A pinkish hue? Yes, a a rosy glow. There's a hue. There's a hue. I mean, there's George. You want, you know what Jerry is thinking. So you don't have to, he doesn't have to say it. I like thick, lustrous hair. Well, you're balding. How can that be important to you? I like a rosy cheek. Well, you're pale-faced, and you'd be lucky to have any girl, frankly. You know, here we see Ahaz. He's not a great guy. He's, He's very faithless, and he's saying, well, is God faithful? And then I think the universe would cry out if it had vocal cords You are not faithful. Well, is God beautiful? Is he really that good? Have you looked at yourself spiritually in the mirror lately, Ahaz? You aren't that wonderful yourself. The angels, I'm sure, would say to Ahaz, and I think is saying to us now, you would be lucky to be called a slave in God's kingdom, and yet you're called his son. And here we are wondering, is God good enough? putting him to the test when all he is about is our goodness, even when it hurts. So what does Ahaz do? It's despicable what Ahaz does. He hears Isaiah and Isaiah says to him, okay, I'll even give you a sign. You name it, anything you want. I'll give you any sign you say and it will happen just to show you that what I'm saying is true. He could have chose anything But instead of even giving him that opportunity to show a sign, Ahaz goes into the temple. He goes into the temple of God and steals gold and silver. He ransacks the temple. He steals from his brothers and sisters. He steals from his fellow countrymen so that he could go to one of the kings and say, I'll pay homage to you and here's my proof that I will owe my allegiance to you just Leave me alone. Let me be. Don't have war against us. I mean, think about 
think about that. And I, you know, I want to point a finger and say, have you done this? But I, I think even this last week, I've sold God for just the littlest things, for my comfort, for my pleasure, for whatever I deem as an idol of mine. We've all done it. So we can't point a finger at Ahaz and say, Ahaz is, is such a goofball, he's the worst. When in reality, Ahaz in this story is me. Ahaz in this story is you. But the great thing is that unlike Ahaz, there's a happy ending to our story. We see that not only will God, will God be lifted up, but he is, his glory will bring peace. This future even though it has failed, is now guaranteed to us because our king did not fail. Even though A has failed and he paid allegiance to the enemy, King Jesus never did. Even though King Ahaz thought that his own glory was the most important thing, King Jesus said the Father's is the most important thing. And as a result, we have peace. And this is not something that's in the future, brothers and sisters. This is something that is now, that is present. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Since this, for them, was future and for us is present, we can live out of this truth. How will all these people come streaming up the mountain? It's because they see a transformation in the church. They see a supernatural love and peace in us that they don't see anywhere else. You see, this quote that I'd like to throw on the screen here is, is so critical for us to recognize and for us to wrestle with. His love for his glory, God's love for his glory and his love for us are one love. Drawing him on to the final day when we will be forever happy in his glory alone. Where do you find joy? Where do you find happiness? If it's not in God alone, I would say it's an idol. I would say that it's an idol. Let's go back to baby Jessica. There she is, 22 feet below the surface. And so they start to dig. They get about two feet down and they recognize, they realize that the rock was harder than granite. It took them 10 hours to get down deep enough so that they could start then to dig across. And remember, Jessica, this whole time, has one leg above her head. She's wedged in this angled tube that's only eight inches wide. And all she hears is the rumbling of the drill. No light. There's a, 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 um, a water hose attached to an oxygen tank that's been dropped down so that she can still breathe. Somehow they figured out how to get her heat and warmth because it was 60 degrees and they were worried that she would get hypothermia. And so there's these weird contraptions in the dark poking her. There's all this rumbling. And then she sees this metal object, but maybe she doesn't see it, but she hears it crushing through the tube below her. And at that point, an EMT is sent down to pull her out. And before they go down, the EMT group gets together, realizing that she's been down there, get this, for 58 hours. 
the EMT, they realize that it, she hasn't drank anything this whole time. She has moments, perhaps, to survive. And so they gather together and they say to each other this, if you have to break her bones, you get her out. You may have to break her to save her. And so she, Jessica's down there and she experiences this arm coming up to the one dangling foot, wrapping around her leg from below her, remember, pulling her down farther. I mean, what would you be thinking? That's, this is the wrong way. I don't know this. I've only experienced pain and agony and now you're pulling me down farther. And they're willing to break her to save her. I don't know if any bones were broken, but they did save her. But the, the reality of the story is that this is us. The Father is willing to break us, to save us. If there's anything that is giving us joy and satisfaction and wholeness that is not him, he is willing to break those bones because he knows that our place is with him. Where we find our satisfaction is in his arms. And he will put you through whatever it takes to bring you back home. It is a promise. It is a guarantee. So not only is our future guaranteed and the Lord will be lifted up, but this is for our good. And so we can walk in this light. This is our truth. That if these things are true, we can live in such a way where the world sees that there's something different that our eye is fixed on the cross is what transforms our hearts and allows us when all, hopes to, all hope seems to be lost to have our eyes fixed on him rather than our circumstances remembering that he is good in all that he does.